Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 8, a program note. You may have come expecting to see our guest preacher, Dr. Gregory, Dr. Joel Gregory. I was too. (laughs) Joel called me a couple of days ago, and he had an emergency tooth extraction midweek. And the doctors were, the, the, the phone call went like this. Sean, this is Joel. The doctor advises against airline flight. To which I, I said, which is whatever you would say in that moment. Oh, sure, no problem. I, I understand. We're fine here. You know, that's how you feel like you sound when you talk to, to Joel Gregory. I assured him of our appreciation for his time with us last week, and, and uh, I promised our prayerful consideration of him while he's mending, that we would pray for him and his, and his healing as well. So today you're stuck with me, and to do justice to our series, we've been talking about morph, navigating life through seasons of change. So I thought it may be fitting today, at least this was the idea yesterday morning, (laughs) that we talk about dealing with unexpected change. You see, there are some changes that we have to learn to navigate in life. We've talked about that for two weeks now. We've talked about how life is going to morph. There's nothing you can do about it. And some changes are hard enough even if you see them coming a mile away. In fact, some of you have launched your children now into adulthood. Some of you in just a matter of a few weeks will move your daughter or son into a dorm room for the first time. And it will be hard enough. And with two years away from that moment in our family, even talking about it a little bit raises some anxiety in me. But the fact is, That doesn't come as a surprise. We see it coming for a long time. It's still hard, but it it knocks the edge off a bit when you can see change coming. I think about my friends in Orlando back when we were there in 08 and 09. During the collapse, the economic collapse, many of them lost their jobs. And facing very new unemployment, we would talk about how you doing, how you navigating, and some of them would say to me, Yes, it's difficult, but it's not really a surprise. We saw it coming. Corporate was downsizing. Departments changed every week, and every week one of my colleagues was gone. I just knew it was a matter of time. This was my week. Difficult enough, but when you see it coming, it knocks the edge off a little. 
Even if the change is difficult, if you see it coming, it comes as grace. My friend Clyde Huffman, I remember he was one of my favorite human beings. He was 93 years old when we buried him in Tennessee. His first wife, he had been married to his first wife probably 40, 45 years. But the last 12 years of her life, she lived with Alzheimer's. And he described to me what each morning and mid-morning and noon and mid-afternoon and evening and nighttime and midnight and morning and mid-morning and noon looked like for him as she lived with him in his house for 12 years. So when his wife died, it was a change that was hard to navigate, but he saw it coming, and because he saw it coming, it came as grace, really. But there are some changes that come, and, and you don't see them coming, and you're blindsided, you're caught off guard. I think, I think a little bit about uh, a woman who was close to our family. She was married 35 years. And her husband comes in and says, I'm not happy. Truth is, I've never been happy. Goodbye. She has no job, no resume, no formal education, no health care, no retirement. Some changes knock the breath right out of your lungs. I think about a friend in Orlando, and she's a colleague, and in ministry 15 13 years ago to this this month 13 years ago this month it was in the evening and he she hugged her oldest son who's going to hang out with friends an hour later she gets a phone call that her son had been in a car accident and he didn't make it there are some changes that catch you off guard. Some changes that come out of nowhere and you're not prepared for them at all and nothing is ever the same after. Some changes come with no warning at all and everything is different. Nothing is ever the same. What do you do then? See, I think this is worth speaking about today. What do you do with unexpected change? Because someone who is gathered here, even on this pre-holiday weekend, someone here may have recently been blindsided by an unexpected change, and, and, and your world is upside down. And I want, for just a few moments, to speak into that experience. I want for just a few moments to offer an audacious claim. <laughs> and here it is. The change that comes to disrupt doesn't have to destroy. The change that has come to disrupt your rhythm, your expectation, your orientation, your very existence, the thing that has come to change and disrupt you does not have to destroy you. And if you're living in the midst of that kind of, of morphing moment, if you're already knocked down to the ground and you hear somebody talking about it being a disruption, I know it's more than a disruption. I get it. But whatever it is that has turned you inside out doesn't have to destroy you. 
Because some of the changes that you and I experience on the outside, or I'll put it this way, some of our exterior changes have the capacity to create an interior transformation. A transformation of mind and heart and soul. Some of the exterior changes that come with or without our permission, they have the power of offering interior transformation to the point that you are never, ever the same. And I think there may be no more beautiful place in the Bible to illustrate what I'm talking about than the 8th chapter of Matthew. We begin reading in chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Listen to these words. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is a curious story to me. It's curious because of the way that it begins. It includes an odd word. It's not in every one of the translations of this text. It's in the NIV, which is not typically the one I use on a Sunday morning, so you may notice it differently. But the NIV translates it this way, suddenly. Suddenly. A violent storm arose. Suddenly is an interesting word to me because suddenly kind of, well, it insinuates surprise. Suddenly insinuates that you're not ready, that is unexpected. And in that region, there were storms that would come across the lake at Galilee, and that was no surprise, which makes it odd that the Bible would say that suddenly a storm arose, storms arose on the Galilee all the time partially because of the way the Galilee is situated. It's kind of sunken. It sits low in in the, the Jordan Rift Valley. It's sitting low because the African plate and the Arabian plate, when they separated, and that was a few days ago, it left the lake situated sunken and low beneath a rim of hills that surround it. And over those hills would come sweeping these winds, sometimes these violent winds that would cause storms across the surface and capsize boats and threaten fishermen. What's interesting to me is that this happened all the time. And these fishermen who got in the boat, who were seemingly surprised by this sudden storm, ought to have known that it was possible. It demonstrates to me that regardless of how capable we are, regardless of how well we have mastered our vocation and 
the space in which we live and breathe and do our being, we can still be caught off guard by winds that, that are beyond our control. These were expert fishermen and were surprised by a storm. You and I need to recognize today that unexpected change is no respecter of persons. One day, any of us can be swept up in a surprising storm. Suddenly, the text says, suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But the most provocative part of this text is not what we just read. The most provocative line of the whole story comes right after. But Jesus was sleeping. And we're not talking about a casual snooze. We're not talking about what happens when we get in the car to go to Florida on vacation and, and you know, my wife, who is supposed to be keeping me awake, is, you know, we're not talking about a gentle snooze. You know, we're talking, you know, he is snoozing and the boat is threatened. Waves are coming over the side of the boat and Jesus, which is a provocative image to me. Can we just sit with it for just a moment? Can you sit with that image for a moment? That the most violent, and surprising, unexpected, sudden storm is threatening the well-being of everyone in the boat, and he sleeps. You know, some of my favorite people in the world are non-Christians. I love talking to unbelievers. Because sometimes our conversations surprise them, and our conversations Educate me on what happens in the mind of someone who has not yet believed. And the more often I talk, the more I recognize there is a raw human transparency about those who do not yet believe. And one of the common frustrations I hear among friends who are not believers is that this image that we're seeing right here is I think part of the way they think about God in the world. That we are currently living in a world that is falling apart. It seems as if it's unraveling at the seams with, with racism and, and sexism and with a political environment that is so chasm-creating that they look up to find where will our help come from and they see what they think is a sleeping God. That God snoozes while the world falls apart. And part of the reason why I think they may think this way is because when they look to those of us who are meant to represent a present God, when they look to those of us who are meant to represent the peacemaking God, they sometimes see in us nothing different than what they already see in the world. More than that, we even contribute to it. We even contribute to the fragmentation of the world with the things we do, with things we say, things we post. <laughs> and they look at us and assume that if there is a God, he surely must be asleep. But you and I know better, right? I mean, don't you and I know better, right? When we read Psalm 121, we... 
We confess our belief, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. We believe in a God who doesn't sleep while things fall apart. In Psalm 46, we confess our belief also when we say our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should morph, (laughs) though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and, and though the mountains tremble with its tumult. We recognize that we believe in a God who is always present. At the very heart of our belief system is the incarnation. We believe in a God who took on flesh and dwells in us. And among us, whether we are awake to notice it or not. So what makes it provocative is that in this image that we read about where the world is falling apart, the storm has come unexpectedly, the change is lapping over the side of the boat like waves threatening to capsize their very existence. We see Jesus sleeping and it seems as if the God who is a very present help in time of trouble may be present, but not much help. But I think something else is going on. And and just like in all parts of Scripture, if the surface meaning is all we get from it, we have missed it completely. There's more going on here. The writer tells us about a sleeping Jesus in the midst of a storm on purpose. On purpose. Can I tell you that one of the least favorite things that I do is fly? I don't like to fly. I do because it gets me where I got to go, but I don't like airplanes. And when I get on an airplane to fly, if we go through turbulence, that's what really gives me the hibby-jibbies. You know? When we go through turbulence, one of the things that bothers me most is that I'm absolutely out of control. Even if I were to make my way to the cockpit and offer my help, I would be absolutely useless, and I recognize that my entire existence is in the hands of someone who I hope slept well last night. Right? So we go through turbulence, but one of the things that I do when things get a little anxious is I watch the flight attendant. Because he or she spends most of the day in the air. They've been there and done that. They've seen it all. And if we're rocking and the fasten seatbelt sign is on and we can't get up and go to the bathroom because we're, we're in turbulence. Choppy weather. Choppy weather. Puts it mildly. If we're in turbulence, I look to see how they're responding. And if they're in their jump seat and they're white-knuckled, then I have reason to worry. But if they're in their jump seat and they're laughing... And they're telling stories or jokes or maybe they're reminiscing about a bad passenger they had the the day before. Then I try to take my cue from them because they know what they're doing. So one day, years ago, I was on a flight from Dallas to D.C. Back when we lived in D.C. And 
And we went through a storm, and it was a nasty storm. It was so bad that it seemed as if lightning was just bouncing off the wings. It was rough. And we were going through really seriously choppy weather. And the flight attendants were in their jump seats, but they were calm and cool. Not only that, sitting beside me were two passengers. The man had spent his entire life as an Air Force jet pilot. The wife spent her entire life as his wife. (laughs) And the whole time, as it gets choppier and choppier, he's calmly thumbing through a magazine. And she, no kidding, is doing cross-stitch. This was at a time before 9-11, and I suppose you can bring all that stuff on board, and she, no kidding, was making some kind of you know, you know, coaster or something, and talking, and talking, and talking. So they were calm. The flight attendant was calm. Then we hit a really patch, rough patch. And I looked, and, and it got so rough that the flight attendant was holding on with both hands. Her eyes were like coasters. But I looked, and my two traveling companions were cool as cucumbers. He kept continuing to flip through the magazine. She kept making her way through the cross-stitch and talking and talking. I just wanted to say, would you please zip it? (laughs) She thought it was calming. At one point, she literally, she watched my anxiety, and she literally tried to comfort by saying, oh, this is nothing. We've been in the air many times, and this is, you're not helping me. Then I, I kid you not, we come to a place where we lose altitude. It's the worst moment uh, in my flying experience. And the airplane drops, I don't know how many feet, all at once. Things come off the tray tables. The, the flight attendant is white-knuckled. By this time, the blood had left her face. Looked like a skeleton already. <laughs> I turn thinking, I'll draw comfort from my traveling companions. And I kid you not, the the thing was on the floor. She had grabbed his hand, and they were both eyes tightly closed, (laughs) which is when I entered the ministry. (laughs) I said, Jesus, get me out. No. The point. In anxious seasons, look to non-anxious presence in that boat it was an anxious time and jesus was the only non-anxious presence aboard and the point is this god is neither surprised nor intimidated by the sudden storms that catch us off guard Regardless of how strong the winds are or how deep the waves may be crashing in upon your vessel, God is neither intimidated nor surprised by the storms that catch us off guard. Jesus was the non-anxious presence in the boat, but here's here's the story for you and me. Here is the, the, the audacious claim that I want to make to you. You too can become a non-anxious presence in the midst of this this thing that has occurred in your life. This season that came with or without your permission, you can remain steady and fixed and focused 
And the reason I know that is possible is because of the way the rest of this story continues. Do you realize that in chapter 8 of Matthew, this is not just a miracle story where Jesus calms the sea with its wind and waves. This is a healing story. And I say it's a healing story, although we don't think of it typically that way because all of chapter 8 in Matthew is filled with healing stories. This arrives in a lineup of healing stories. Matthew 8 begins with the healing of a leper. It continues with the healing of a centurion's daughter. It continues with the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Even after this boat story, there's the healing of the demoniac, a man who was possessed by, by demons. So it finds itself, this little story that we're living in this morning, it finds itself situated right in the midst of, surrounded by, immersed in, healing. Well, what, pray tell, is it that they need healing from? The text continues. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. And when I read this text, you and I know what the surface reading is. We know it's a wonderful story of how even he has authority over the created order itself. That the winds and the waves obey him and there's a dead calm in the external part of the story. But I sometimes wonder why Matthew told us this. Surely it's not to fit another meteorological miracle into the text, right? We've got plenty of those. But what if the greater storm was the one that he calmed within their hearts? Because truth being known, Jesus could calm any kind of storm, but what's more impressive is to let the storm keep raging while healing the storm of our fear on the interior. There's a great song that came out years ago that speaks into this experience that sometimes God does calm storms, but other times he has a different way of bringing peace. Here's the text. All who sail the sea of faith find out before too long how quickly blue skies can grow dark and gentle winds grow strong. Suddenly, there's that word, fear is like white water pounding on the soul. Still we sail on knowing that our Lord is in control. And then here is the verse. Sometimes he calms the storm with a whispered peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. Yeah. Beloved, if you're in a situation where you or someone you love has been knocked down to the ground because of an unexpected change, if there are waves lapping over the side of your vessel and you just don't know if you're going to make this, you understand the storm may continue, but the real miracle is that you are in the company of one who can calm the storm in you, in you. 
And the beauty of this text, maybe the, maybe the, the linchpin to the whole thing, is that no peace could have come, no peace in the exterior or no peace on the interior unless he was in the boat. Which raises the question, have you welcomed him aboard? Have you come to a a moment, a, a season, a time in your life when you have yielded yourself to be in the company of the one who can sleep in the midst of the waves? He's got to be on board before he can calm the outer storm or your inner storm. But even beyond that, something more provocative to me jumps from the text. They had to wake him up, Betty. They had to wake him up, which to me is a reminder that I do too. Not because he sleeps, but because I do. You've heard me say this again and again and again in this place, and you will until I can get somebody else to stand here next week. (laughs) The holy presence of God is in you. You didn't put it there, and you can't take it away. The holy presence and action of God is in you. Sometimes we move through most of our life so slumbered, so asleep that we barely recognize it. It may be that the key to your salvation itself is simply found in waking up. In waking up to the Christ who is in the boat ready to bring you peace. And that's a daily waking up. It doesn't happen just one time, but every day you wake with some kind of prayer in the morning, and it's got to be in the morning, Don't make it to lunch without it. In which you say to the one who sleeps, awake in me. Awake in me because today the winds will come and I don't know from which direction. Awake in me because I don't know where the waves will come and how deep into the core of this vessel they will flood in my soul. Awake so that regardless of how strong the gale force winds may be, I know that you are present and I have nothing to fear. Awake, O Christ, in me. Amen. Let's pray. God, we recognize that everything we say about you, we want to believe. That you are here, you're present, you're always with us, we're never alone. But most of the time, we don't live as if we really believe that. Our fears, our anxieties, our propensity to take control over every aspect of our lives keeps us from recognizing who in the boat can bring the peace. Show us this day how to wake up to you. Show us what it is required of us for you to awaken within us. Somebody today needs you desperately. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.